Okay. If you are in the, it's 5.15 by the clock up here, which gives me an hour and 30 minutes to jam on y'all tonight. That is awesome. I, I've had a lot to, well, I've wanted to say to y'all through the years, and I guess tonight is the night. I thought these neutron, electronic, atomic bomb clocks were never wrong. I guess we bought the cheap version, didn't we? The, the generic atomic bomb clocks. You know, if, if, you, if you've been in Christianity uh, very much lately, and many of you have, one of the topics you hear a lot is about, about we need uh, deep teaching. We need, uh, we need deep studies. We need uh, mature teaching. And uh, this evening, I want us to look at how Jesus defines and describes a mature Christian. Now, can we go into this assuming up front that he's the authority? Is everybody good with that? Okay, not somebody at Lifeway, not some pastor, not some author, but Jesus. Matthew 5.48, we're in Matthew 5.48 tonight. We're going to look at a lot of different verses. We'll have them on the screens. You can write them down. Obviously, I've cheated. I have them uh, for me, but you can write them down. Some won't even be on the screens, but you can write them. Matthew 5.48, listen to what Jesus says. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's it. Now, if you can do that, you're mature. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's pray. No, I'm teasing. You wish. Now, let's look at this. What is this verse saying? What what is this verse saying? Because this is confusing. When you you read this, and obviously Jesus, in in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is given probably some of his greatest teachings. All of his teachings is great. This is kind of the... the, um, uh, in, in some, some people's views, the best sermon ever. And he's talking to save people about how to live. And in one sense, he's summing it up here, not only here, but the end of uh, Matthew 7. But what is this verse saying? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Some people have assumed this is talking about sinless perfection. Have any of you ever heard of a doctrine called sinless perfection? Some of you ministers have. Sinless perfection says that as a Christian, you can live without sin. That you can, if you can go, and I've heard, I have actually heard a minister say this. Can you go one minute without sin? Well, I guess so. Can you go two? Yeah. How about five? Well, I can. My wife can. Okay, we got you. Men, you're at five minutes. Uh, then can you go 10? Of course, it continues to go, well, if you can go 10 minutes, you can go 20, 20 minutes, you can go an hour. Benjamin Franklin, the great statesman, Benjamin Franklin, uh, besides his bad hairdo, he really was a wise person. And Benjamin Franklin one time decided to live perfectly. He said, I am going to do everything I can to live without sin or mistake or uh, without, you know, some kind of moral or ethical lapse. And I don't think Benjamin Franklin was ever a loudly professing Christian, but Benjamin Franklin said after a week of this, he said it drove him crazy. He said it's impossible. It is impossible. That's exactly what First John chapter 1. Read that when you get home. It's about, it's about 9 or 10 verses at the most. And it clearly says that anybody that says that they were without sin is a liar, and the truth is not in them. You and I cannot be sinless. So this is not talking about being sinless. This is a call to maturity, 
to maturity. When he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, this is what the biblical word perfect means. It means to fulfill something. It means that you have a goal in mind. It means full-grown are mature. That is what the biblical word perfect here means. There literally is a different Greek word for perfect, which means sinless. That is not the word used here. Folks, in the Hebrew idea, it was, it was bringing an animal to sacrifice that was without blemish. Not that was perfect, but that was out without major fault or blemish. It's the picture of a child versus an adult. It's the the difference in a freshman in high school and a senior in high school or a freshman in college or a Ph.D. student. It's the difference in a beginning athlete and one who is an accomplished athlete. When God says this here, very importantly, to be mature, to be perfect, is to be growing into who you are supposed to be. Now, folks, this is a really important concept, too. The Christian life is not static. It's dynamic. What, what, what do I mean by that? Static means it stands still. It means there's no movement. The problem with a lot of Christians in a lot of churches is they're static. They're not growing. They're not moving forward. The Christian life is a life that's dynamic, that we're always moving forward towards that goal of becoming the perfect, mature, full-grown adult Christian, okay? Now, let's look at this secondly. What does the mature Christian look like? If God is calling us to this perfection, this maturity, from childhood to adulthood, from being a baby to being mature, from being a first grader to be a senior, what does this person look like? When he says be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Years ago, I had a, a man come to me in, a, in another church. I mean, this was many, many, many years ago. And he was very unhappy with our church. And he began to tell me his Sunday school class, the teacher was not deep. And he and his girlfriend needed deep teaching. And their discipleship training time was not deep. And they needed deep teaching. And that of course, as his pastor, I was failing, I'm sure, there too. And that we were just not deep enough uh, for, for him and his girlfriend. Here's the only problem. They were living uh, immorally at the time. They were half, half attenders in church. It's a little bitty church, and he made a lot of money, and we didn't have a lot of money. So it's pretty easy for me to say he wasn't given as he should. And having conversations with him, I knew he struggled with his prayer life and his Bible study, but he wanted it to be deep. Do you understand how bad he was missing the mark there, folks? He wanted a graduate class in Bible. He didn't want a maturity in Jesus Christ. What is it? What does a mature Christian look like? Let me tell you two things that it's not. Number one, it's not about knowledge. It's not about knowledge. It's not about knowledge. You can't grow up in Christ without accumulating knowledge, but if that's all you're getting, you're no better than the Pharisees. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, listen to what it says. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge does what? Puffs up, but love does what? Builds up. 
In other words, what he's saying here is accumulating academic knowledge of the Bible and God and theology, that's okay, but anybody can do that. And if that's the end result, all that does is make you egotistical. It's not about knowledge. Folks, I spent about eight years in seminary. That's a graduate school for preachers. After college, there is a whole lot of knowledge there and a whole lot of spiritual dryness there too. It's not about just what you know. Who had more biblical knowledge than the Pharisees of Jesus' day? How about nobody? Who were the ones Jesus said that if you don't change, you're going to bust hell wide open? The Pharisees. Spiritual maturity, mature Christianity, certainly is going to possess knowledge. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is not that you win an argument or you know more. It's about maturity, remember. It's not about knowledge. Here's the second thing. It's not about spiritual show or emotion. It's not about your emotions and show. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, listen to what he says. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In verse 5, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by all men. Now, folks, if you are emotional in your worship and it's not distracting, if that's really who you are, that's awesome. That is awesome. I mean, I don't, I'm not overly emotional. Again, a Rocky movie or something like that. Old Yeller is the last movie I cried in in 1975. But my goodness, when two dogs die in a movie and you're 12, it's terrible. I wouldn't watch that movie today. That was terrible, wasn't it? I watched Hope Floats and some of those movies. And when the, when the people are dying, I'm going, amen, this thing is almost over. It's different, though, when a dog's dying in the movie, Right? Amen. I'm getting some good amens over there. Spiritual emotion is good. I, I, I grew up a Baptist. I grew up in a church like this. I've been here 11 years now. I, I'm part of us. And I struggle like you. Most of us don't express ourselves enough, do we? If we say amen twice, it's normally at the closing prayer, right? That's amen, amen. We're done, we're done. So it's okay to, to show emotions, but spiritual maturity is not gauged by how high you jump, it's how straight you walk. It's not, it's not about emotions either, first and foremost. Here it is, it's about becoming more like Jesus. What, what does a mature Christian look like? They're becoming more and more like Jesus. This is the end goal. This is, what, this is what God is trying to do in your life. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is what God's trying to do. Now, here's some verses to write, write down. Look up later. Romans 8, 29. God is, God is trying to conform you to the image of his Son. Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. God's, God's wanting you to imitate him. In 1 John 2, 6, one of my favorites. 1 John 2, 6, coming on the board, coming on the board, maybe, maybe not. It, there it is. Whoever claims to live in him must what? Walk as Jesus. I love a, a better translation to me, even in the NIV. It says if you're a Christian, you should be like Jesus Christ. So here's the goal. The goal of mature Christianity is not about crying every service. I mean, goodness, 
that you can cry every service and die and go to hell. It, it, it's, not about, it's not about how much you know. Pharisees knew a whole lot, and many of them are in hell today for what Jesus said. It, it's about becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's what maturity is. Now, let's take a look. I'm going to give you a list of things. I, I hope I don't normally preach like this, but I'm going to give you a list of several things this evening. And this is not exhaustive, but it's pretty thorough of what the mature person who's becoming like Jesus looks like. Here's the first thing. It's who you are on the inside, okay? Obviously, tonight we're not going to read Matthew 5 and 6, but mature Christianity, it's an inside-to-outside job. Does that make sense? See, a lot of times what we do is we dress up the outside, don't we? And the inside's dirty. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. They, they literally washed the tombs, polished the tombs so they'd look good. And so people, when they were coming into Jerusalem, wouldn't run into them too, literally. And, and, and that's fine to have the, 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 the gray whitewash, but still it's dead bones inside is what Jesus said. So it, it, it's fine to look good on the outside, but it's mature Christianity starts on the inside. Here's the second thing. It's about your faith. It's about your faith. Hebrews 11. The more, listen, the more I become like Jesus, the more I trust Jesus. Amen? That's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, you have worries, you have problems, you have concerns. But the more I become like Jesus, the more I'm being changed on the inside and the less I'm worrying because I'm trusting God. How many of you, I'm not, you don't have to raise your hands. I know many of you here, your, your type A or your B pluses, personalities, you're go-getters, you get things done, you don't sit back and wait for it to happen, you make it happen. And that's great in a lot of ways, but we're the ones that die of heart attacks and have ulcers too. Trust God. Maturity, trust God. It's about our faith growing and our ability to trust God more and more. Big, big, big deal. Here's a, a third thing. It's about total obedience. It's about obedience to God. Young people, y'all look up and listen to me for a second. How you obey God says more than anything else about your walk with God. Period. Well, I don't drink and I don't run around. Hey, good for you. There's a, and that is good for you. But there's a lot of people who don't drink. They're going to go to hell. And uh, somebody under 21 certainly shouldn't drink, and they shouldn't be immoral with their girlfriend or boyfriend. But obedience is more than just a few things you don't do. When I was growing up, I think that was what a youth group was, is you didn't drink and you, didn't, you weren't sexually a- active. Man, that's, that's just scratching the surface as important as those are. It's about obedience. And in 1 Samuel 15, it's a turning point in the history of Israel. It's a turning point for King Saul because Saul does things his way. And Samuel comes in, and, man, he pops him, and God pops him. And he says this. He says, more than anything else, God wants you to obey him. He wants you to obey him. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you what? Read this aloud with me. No, if you love me. You'll be real expressive in your worship. I hope you are. That's great. But that's not what it says. John 15, 14. Flip it around. Read that out loud, please. 
See, maturity is measured, again, not, not necessarily how high you jump to your favorite worship song, but how you obey God. Hannah Whitewall Smith was a, a, a writer, Puritan writer, in the 1800s. And if you ever get to read some of her things, she wrote a book called, I think it's either The Secrets or Confessions of a Happy Christian. You ought to get that book and read it. And here's one of the things she said, how do you find perfect happiness? Perfect happiness is found in perfect obedience. When you obey, oh, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to be happy. Let me do my thing and I'll be happy. Don't ever say what I'm doing is wrong. You know, praise me for my sinful behavior because I'm just wanting to be happy. You're not going to be happy being disobedient to God. As a lost person, especially a saved person, happiness is found in obedience. Happiness is a fruit. The root's obedience. Perfect obedience is what mature people are shooting for. And here's the next thing. Of course, all these go together. It's a growing love for God. It's about loving God more and more. Matthew twenty two thirty six through 38. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I want to ask you, to be, be honest with yourself tonight. Do you love Jesus tonight more than you did last year? Ten years ago, 15 years ago, are, are you falling in love with Jesus more and more? Mature Christianity is about that. Next, it's about loving people. It's about loving people more and more. John 13, 35, I love this verse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have completed the latest discipleship manual. If you have read the latest book from Lifeway, you are one of my followers. Folks, discipleship books and books are great if they are affecting your heart. Amen? If you're just gathering stuff for here, it's not, not, that's not what God intended. And your maturity is certainly based on how you love other people. You grow in love with other people more and more. Here's another one. It's about your prayer life. It's about real prayer. Matthew 6, 6. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Several years ago, there was a... A poll done of pastors in America, and they asked the average American pastor, how much do you pray every day? I would have guessed 30 minutes. I would have guessed 30 to 45. The average pastor said he prayed seven minutes a day. I want to tell you, that's a, that's a problem with our churches. And m- most of those polls, people lie, so it's probably less than that. Not that pastors are the green berets of the churches, but probably that means that the average church member is praying less than that. Let me have your attention. How much do you pray every day? I heard this years ago. If you've been a Christian 10, 15 years, you ought to pray an hour a day. I mean, that just ought to be the fruit of your relationship with Jesus. How much time do you spend really praying to Jesus every day? Mature Christianity is about real prayer, absolutely no doubt about that. How's your prayer life? Here's another thing. It's about real service. 
We won't read it this evening, but Mark 10, Jesus said, I didn't come. I didn't come to be waited on and to be served, but I, Jesus, the Son of God, came to serve and to give. How's your service this evening? A lot of people have advice. A lot of people have criticisms. We certainly need insight. But have you ever noticed you get a lot more done when people work versus sit around and talk about work? I had a friend who used to say most people are like calluses. They show up after the work. If you don't get that, think about it for a little while. You'll get it later. My maturity towards Christ's likeness can be measured how I serve other people. Now, here's another one, too. It's about soul winning. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Somewhere in our Christian culture today in America, we are slowly losing the significance of evangelism. We want to worship. We want discipleship classes. We want... Prayer groups and all those things are wonderful and necessary. But we're pushing evangelism aside. Doesn't that just sound like a perfect work of the devil? What would have happened 20 years ago, 50 years ago, in many of your lives if soul winning wouldn't have been important? I'll tell you what would happen. You wouldn't be here tonight. Jesus left heaven to come to earth to be a soul winner And if you're a follower of his and you're looking like his, whether it's at your junior high or your high school, at your nursing home, at your college, where you work, in your neighborhood, you are going to want to help other people come to Christ. Yet, polls have said for 30 years, 95% of Christians never win one person to Christ. The only thing you can deduct from that is a lot of people who, well, two things, who profess to be Christians must not be. And secondly, a lot of Christians aren't very mature because if I'm becoming more like Jesus, I'm going to be doing the things Jesus is doing. It's about your evangelism. Here's the next thing. You make your church better. Do you know that? Isn't that that an easy thing? In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given... For the common good. That's, that chapter is talking about spiritual gifts. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Your spiritual gift was given. Mine was given. Many of you have several gifts. They were not given to bring glory to you. Correct? They were not given to bring honor to you. They were given to bring honor to Jesus. And primarily to be used through your church. To minister and to reach people for Christ. Mature Christians make their church better. I'm looking at a lot of people who make their church better tonight. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, I'd hate to stand before God someday as a pastor and have to explain why I didn't help my church. That's not really productive for me anyway, is it? I'd hate to be a church member and have to stand before Christ and have to explain how that I really was seeking to be mature and deep, but I just didn't think helping my church was better. In fact, I felt more like I was on the, given the gift of criticism or, <laughs> or apathy 
You know anybody with a gift of apathy? <laughs> Mature believers make their church better. Let me give you one last in this list of 142. Mature Christians die to themselves. Dying more and more to themselves. Luke 9, 23. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. That's be willing to die and follow me. You remember when Peter denied Jesus three times, he said, what? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Now listen, you know what's in the way of you and I being mature Christ-like followers more than anything else? It's, it's yourself. It, it's me. And the process of becoming mature means you've got to grow up and you have to push yourself aside. John 3.30, listen to this. He must become greater, I must become less. That was said by John the Baptist who Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived. Did you know that? Jesus said John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived. Here's what John the Baptist said. A continuing process in his life, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. What's the sign of immaturity? An immature person's got to get their way all the time, don't they? A baby, what, what is a little baby? A baby is not thinking about other people's needs most of the time, are they? A little child is not. They're thinking about what they want, and that's natural. If you're two years old, go for it. You should be immature. You should be selfish. You should demand and want your own way. I mean, that's just part of the gig. But part of maturing personally is it's, you start to realize The world doesn't revolve around me. And spiritually, that's exactly, and this is a great ending point for us this evening, our maturity in Christ is that it's more and more, it's not about me, it's about Jesus and about others. It's about dying to yourself. Several years ago, there was a movie called End of the Spear. Did any of y'all see that movie, End of the Spear? You're, some of you are going to be familiar with the story. It's a story of Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and three other men in the 1950s, missionaries who went to South America, to Ecuador, to try to reach a group of, of uh, basically jungle people who had never heard the gospel. And they knew going in that these people were very, very wild and aggressive. They took a gun with them. And one of the sons asked the daddy before they went, this is maturity, Daddy, are you going to shoot them if they try to kill you? And he said, no, because we're ready to die and they're not. That's maturity. All five of those men were killed. As the years transpired, many of their family members, including Rachel Saint, Nate Saint's sister, made contact with that that Indian tribe. Rachel Saint eventually went and lived among those people. And she led to Jesus Christ the people who had murdered her brother. Need I say anything more, but that is what mature Christianity looks like. 
So this evening, I want to ask you, how mature are you? I mean, really and truly. One to ten. Maybe you're a zero, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you've just never been saved. And sometimes by looking at this list tonight, it's a good way to evaluate yourself and say, none of that's in my life. When we give the invitation a moment, you come, give your life to Jesus tonight. Ready to join our church? We would love for you to. Just ease down the aisle, come and join us in a few moments. Maybe, though, tonight, many of us as Christians, God's spoken to us, and, and the truth is we've, we've either been pursuing head knowledge or, or we've been pursuing all the wrong things except Christ-likeness. I want to challenge you where you're standing or at the altar. I want to challenge you when we stand to make a commitment with the help of Jesus Christ to spend the rest of your life pursuing this perfection, this maturity that Jesus has called you to. Let's stand. We'll be waiting down here for you. You come as we sing.